Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Tonight we are going, as you can see, I'm not Pastor Ben, so I get the opportunity every once in a while when, you know, to be behind the pulpit. And usually I'm like here, there, or somewhere. But it's always sobering for me to be behind this pulpit. Because I do not take God's word lightly. Because it's his holy word that we try to represent when we're up here, right? So it's very, very important that we who teach the word from this pulpit... We are to spend a lot of time in prayer, not only for you, but for myself and for the Word to make its work in each and every one of us. So in the scripture that we're going to look at tonight, which is Mark chapter 12, verse 38 to 44, it's it's very sobering to study something like this and then to actually live it out as we're going to see as we go through it. So what I want to do is go to the Word, and I'm going to read out of the ESV version. And I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we can go back. I'm going to give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background, and then we'll let God's work speak through us, okay? Mark 12, 38. Then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, in his teaching, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, Love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw, and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant, which is about a penny. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Just reading that the way it is is very sobering for us as believers, right? I mean, it's like the illustration alone and Jesus telling his disciples of what's going on and what generosity really looks like. It is very, very powerful. You see, it's the heart that counts. You know, we're in the Christmas season. We're in the season of giving, you know, presents. You guys are going to get presents. You're going to give presents away. And, you know, we have a saying, when you get a gift, it's the thought that counts, right? You get the gift and you say, don't worry about it. It's the thought that counts. If it's nothing, if it's something you didn't want or like, what kind of gift is this? What's the thought that counts? But our scripture, we're going to see that Jesus is looking at the heart. 
It's the heart that counts. So I want to ask you a question. Have you ever tried to draw attention to yourself? Think of a child who acts out in order to get attention from their parents, right? Or maybe a teenager who really wants to impress someone. We've all been teens before. We've been in a place where we're teens and we want to impress people around us and we do stupid stuff, right? A teenager who really wants to impress someone so they act a little crazy or outrageous to get the attention of their peers or they want to be noticed. Have you been there? I know I have. I've done some stupid things in growing up where like, why, my parents are like, why did you do that? Because everybody else was doing it. Crazy. You see, sometimes we see this desire for attention in the church. We want people to recognize us for the spiritual things we do, like serving, fasting, giving, praying, etc., etc. Sometimes, I know in my heart at times, I know I, I crave that. You see, what we have to remember is everyone has a part to serve in the church. If we have a view that the focus should be on what can be seen, we will only view those who have public ministry as being important. And that's why it's very sobering for me to be behind this pulpit tonight. It's very sobering. You know, those of us in ministry that have this form of ministry where you're in front of people or you're on the worship team or you're in leadership or anything, pride could creep in. And we're going to see that in the scriptures that we're going to go through. God wants our service, no matter what it is, to be for others. And the attention that we might seek, get this, to be from him. The attention that we seek as people to make us feel good, we, don't, we shouldn't seek that attention from people. There's only an audience of one we need to please. That's God. Being behind this, and then after the message, people can come up to you. Man, that was a great message. It really spoke to me. We're men. The pride can creep in. Oh, yeah, I'm a good teacher. Oh, I've done plenty of Bible studies. You're on the worship team. Oh, man, you guys did great. That song was awesome. Your voice is good. All that stuff can creep in. And we're going to look at that in Scripture. So the three points I want to make before we get into our Scripture is, point number one, we're going to see this as we go through, authenticity in faith. Authenticity in faith. Now, I'm going to say authenticity a lot throughout this message. And when I say authenticity, I want you to remember that Coke commercial, the real thing? Authenticity is the real thing. It's not a counterfeit. Authenticity is the real fit thing. So we have core values in our church. Who knows our core values? We have three core values, right? Okay. Authenticity and faith. You see, Jesus warns against superficial religious practices 
and urges us, his people, to examine our hearts. You see, true devotion to God involves humility and a sincere desire to serve rather than seeking recognition or praise. We can all fall into that. I don't care how humble you are in the flesh, in the flesh, our flesh, without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, would take that in and you just mess it up. You become prideful, arrogant, all that stuff. Especially us in ministry, we have to really be careful of why we're doing ministry and how we're doing ministry. It's for God and God alone. You and I, we serve each other because we love God. When we love God, we're going to love people. Our first core value, authenticity and faith to love God. Our second core value is loving people, right? We're going to see the compassion for the vulnerable in our scriptures. So Jesus condemns the exploitation of the vulnerable religious leaders. Believers are called to care for those in need, especially the body in the church that we fellowship with every week. We should be a church. When somebody's hurting, we're there. When somebody's rejoicing, we're there. Authentic fellowship. We should have compassion for the vulnerable, and that meets our second core value, which is love people. Loving people. Believers are called to care for those in need, expressing their faith through compassionate actions and and a genuine concern for others. The third and final point is sacrificial generosity. We're going to see this according to Scripture. And when we love God, when we love people, your life will be radically changed. People will be attracted to you because you love God and you love people. Your life will be radically changed. Sacrificial generosity. We're going to see that. In the scriptures, we're going to read the widow's offering exemplifies that generosity is not measured by the amount given, but by the heart behind the giving. It's the heart that God is looking at. You and I, believers, are encouraged to give with sacrificial love, trusting God with the resources, and demonstrating a profound commitment to him. So in essence, the lesson, this lesson is going to encourage us as believers to live out our faith authentically, showing compassion to the vulnerable and practicing sacrificial generosity. Acknowledging that true greatness lies in humble service and selfless devotion to God and to others. Amen. So Mark 12, 38, 44, the scripture we just read, Mark follows a series of exchanges between Jesus and his opponents during his final public ministry here in Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to the cross, and he's about to go to the cross. These opponents included the Pharisees and the scribes. A little bit about the scribes served the vital role of copying scripture by hand in the time that did not have copy machines, electronic texts, the technology we have today, they didn't have that. They had a copy by hand, the scripture, the word of God. 
So this function resulted in these scribes being recognized as experts in the scriptures, right? And then we have the Pharisees. The Pharisees, for their part, were advocates of a particular way of interpreting the scripture. You see, the Pharisees believed that God would restore or maintain his favor on the Jewish people only if they kept his law faithfully. And check this out. To ensure that they did so, the Pharisees built a fence around the law by developing oral traditions as legal commentary regarding how to apply God's written written word, his law. And the Pharisees thought that people wouldn't even come close to violating God's written law if they obeyed these oral traditions that they're doing. Basically, they're just putting burdens upon burdens of people. That's what they're doing. And we're going to see also in contrast in the scripture that we're going to read, to these is the widow who appears in the scriptures with them. So we're going to see the the Pharisees and the scribes and this widow. So in contrast to these is the widow who appears in the scriptures with them. The widows were especially vulnerable during this biblical in biblical times. Those who lacked sons or other male relatives were essentially left without means of support. So they might earn some coin selling handiwork, but few could make a living by doing that. As a result, many widows depended on the generosity of the community to survive. God's law required such generosity, but those needs were easy to overlook. God already made it where the widows would be taken care of. The down and out people would be taken care of. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19 to 21. It's going to be on the screen. <clears throat> And when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the bows again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. So you see that? God was orchestrating already for the widows, for the down, for the, you know, for the outcast to be taken care of. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, it says this. Honor widows who are really widows. Basically, take care of the people who are hurting in the church, the ones who are really hurting. Specifically, the widows. And a widow without a family or community support was in a desperate situation. This is the widow in the scripture that we read. She had nowhere to turn but to God. Let's look at Deuteronomy 10, 18. It says, he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Also, 1 Timothy 5.5. 5. Now she, who is really a widow and left alone, trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers 
night and day. So in the passage that we read, we see the scribe, the Pharisees, and the widow, right? Now let's look at verse 38. That gives you a little bit of a background and a context of where we're at, the scene we're at as far as scripture is concerned. Verse 38, it says, As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. You see, in this verse, Jesus warns against religious leaders who prioritize external appearances over a genuine devotion. And the emphasis is on the showy nature of their religious practices, seeking recognition and honor from others. You know, the long robes here refers to the distinctive clothing worn by some religious leaders of the day. Such robes mark them for special honor. They conduct themselves in public. And to like greetings in the marketplace is to welcome titles of honor there. So basically, these guys were seeking attention all for themselves. And these are supposed to be the leaders that God chose to lead God's people. And don't we see that in our church today? The, lo- the long robes, the fancy clothes, the, the status symbol of churches. The bigger you are, the greater ministry, the greater blessing. Where have we gone as a church? You see, today we may not wear these long robes, right? But we must examine our own hearts. And our actions drive our, the actions that we do, are they driven by a sincere desire to serve God and others? Or are we seeking recognition and praise for ourselves? God forbid I ever seek praise for myself in ministry trying to do God's work. That is a temptation that is real. It is real. And it's so easy if you don't check yourself, if you, don't have, if you are not led by the Holy Spirit, we can easily go down the wrong way. Let's strive as a church for humility and a real, intimate walk in our faith with God. Verse 39 And have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts. So Jesus is starting to get on these guys. Jesus condemns the religious leaders who exploit their positions for personal gain and recognition, right? They seek the best. These guys are seeking the best seats in the places of honor. They're demonstrating a heart that is self-centered. And it's all about me. That's the type of heart they're displaying. So the religious leaders focus on their own power, seeking to to be first in whatever. Seeking to be first. They're seeking positions of power. You and I, church, as believers, we're called to humbly serve and avoid seeking positions of prominence or personal glory. I know in my heart, I can get where I'm like, yeah, God, 
God wouldn't be as good with his church if I wasn't here. Right, Pastor Ben? We can get it. You can get, your heart could be in a place where, man, this church can't run without me. Or the worship team would be just shambles without me. Or I'm in ministry. This classroom would never be as good as when I was in there. That's facts, guys. As people, we get attitudes, and if we don't check it, it could, it could rail us. Great message for going into December, right? Verse 39. And have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts. So Jesus condemns the religious leaders who exploit their position for personal gain and power. As believers, we need to examine our motives, ensuring that our, our actions are rooted in the genuine love that we have for God and for others. Love God, love people. When you love God and you love people, your life is radically changed. Because the outcome, it's a radical life. Radical life. I can think of my own personal life. How God took me from darkness, saved me and changed me. He is so good. Sometimes we come to church and we, we lose we lose the power or the we lose the we lose of how good God is. We may come in here and sit in worship and your worship is just dry. We may come in here and hear the word and the and it's not speaking to you. It's not speaking to me. Church, brothers and sisters, we cannot get in a place where this, what we do, becomes another thing that we do on Wednesdays. Sometimes I come in here and, ah, and where is the joy? I'm like, I'm speaking of myself. We should be joyous people who encourage one another. I'm usually very quiet because God changed me. He took me from darkness into the light and he's changed me. My life is radically changed because of Jesus. And sometimes I lose that joy walking with him, going through life. It just becomes a routine, even doing this. That's why it's very sobering for me to be up here and telling you this and looking at my own heart, it's, it's where am I with you, God? Some of you may be here tonight, and you're exactly where you know what I'm talking about. Your walk has become dry. There's no joy. God's people, there's no joy. Where is the joy in our lives, God? Where is the joy in our lives? 
When I think about how good God is when the worship is praying, I don't care who's around me. I'm going to sing, even though if I'm out of tune, because I'm singing to God. I'm going to worship him because I worship God. I'm not worshiping to try to impress you, to try to impress the person next to me. I'm only worshiping Jesus because he deserves it. That is the joy that this world needs. And if you've lost that joy tonight, God is right here with us. He's never left us. Verse 40. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. So in this verse, Jesus is criticizing these scribes. These are supposed to be the people who know God's word, and yet they are posers. They are fakers. They are just going through the routine. They're only looking after themselves and nobody else, and God sees their heart. Jesus accuses them of exploiting these vulnerable individuals, particularly the widows, while putting on an act of godliness with their long prayers. They were fake before the eyes of God. And you know, when you're fake and you're in ministry, people recognize that. They know that. They can look at it and say, they know it when we're not real in our walks. They know it. We are not, you know, people are not stupid. God's given us discernment, given us a heart after him. And when we know something's not right, he speaks to us. You know it. I know it. There's four applications I see just from this verse. We should, as believers, as the church, avoid hypocrisy in our church. You see, Jesus warns against the danger of hypocrisy in religious activities. Like what I'm doing, if I'm not living what I'm speaking, or if I'm being fake up here, that is being a hypocrite. And that goes for every single ministry. That goes for you and I in our personal walks with God. Avoid hypocrisy. As believers, we should strive for authenticity, the real thing in our worship and prayers, ensuring that our actions align with our true intentions and a genuine love for the Father. We also see the care for the vulnerable. The condemnation of those who exploited widows emphasizes the importance of caring for the vulnerable in our sphere of influence. As followers of Christ, we are called to a life of compassion, reaching out to those who need rather than taking advantage of them. Just like the scribes were taking advantage with their positions of power to get more and more, they want to be the first. They're not looking after the widows or the broken or the down and out. They're looking after themselves, and Jesus Let's them know he's letting us know to change that. And then also, they will, it says, uh, for pretense, they make long prayers. We have to be sincere in our prayers. 
Lengthy prayers are not wrong, but when they become an act, they lose their value. We have prayer meeting tomorrow. I do not want to be in a prayer meeting where it's just we're acting. We're just being there to be there. and We're just saying the right words. Our prayers, church, should reflect a sincere and humble heart before God. It's not about the quantity or the eloquence of words, but the authenticity, the real thing, of our connection with God. Don't you want that? Don't you want a real walk with God? When you have a real walk with God, you're not worried about impressing people. You're worrying about lost souls. You're worrying about people, brothers and sisters in the church that are hurting. Physically, emotionally, mentally. That's where our concern is at. And we also need to guard against exploitation. You see, the warning against devouring widows' houses extends beyond the literal context of what we just read. It serves as a reminder to guard against any form of exploitation, especially of those who are vulnerable or in need. Our actions as a church should promote justice, mercy, and love. And that's why we try to do ministry throughout the year to outreach because we want to be that type of church. And we know that people are exploited. I mean, we have women, girls, even boys that are trafficked. I mean, we have here in the United States, we're a the abortion of babies, exploitation. You see, in summary, Mark 12, 40 encourages us as, as believers to be sincere in our walk with God, to care for the vulnerable and to avoid hypocrisy in our walks. Let this verse remind us to take inventory of our hearts, leading to a faith that is genuine, that's compassionate, and aligned with the teachings of Jesus. Are you all still awake with me? Is this heavy? Because it was heavy for me to study, and it's heavy for me to tell you that, because it doesn't only speak to your heart, it speaks to my heart. Verse 41, 42, we're getting there. And he sat down opposite the treasury, this is Jesus, and watched the people putting money into the offering box. So many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. So let me just give you a little background where Jesus is at. <clears throat> So there were different sections within the temple. Jesus is in the temple. Different sections within the temple complex that Jerusalem, in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus, that were designated for men and women. So the temple had a series of courtyards. Pastor Ben and Natalie's been there, so they probably went in there and they see the courtyards. 
So the temple had a series of courtyards, and there were specific areas where men and women were expected to worship. The outermost court of the temple was called the Court of the Gentiles. Okay? This area was open to all people, regardless of gender, ethnicity. It was a space where people, including non-Jews, could come and pray. This area served as a space for various activities, including commerce and gatherings. Remember Jesus earlier, if you read the Gospels, he comes into the temple and he saw these money changers and business was going on and he started flipping. So this is where the area that Jesus is flipping the tables and going all crazy in a righteous way because of what's happening in, in this temple. And then after the court of the Gentiles, we come to the court of women was the next inner courtyard. Both men and women could enter this area, but there was a separation between the genders. Men were generally on one side and women on the other. In this court, there were various offerings and rituals, and it was a place where Jewish men, not only Jewish men and women could enter this courtyard. In this court, there were various offerings and rituals, and it was a place where only Jewish men and women gathered for worship and prayer. So you have the court of the Gentiles, then you enter into another court, the court of the women. The reason why is this is the only place as far as the women could go into the courtyard to the temple to worship. Okay, then we have the court of Israel or the men's court. Inside the court, inside the court of women was the court of Israel sometimes referred to as men's court. This court was designated for Jewish men, and it was the area where specific rituals and sacrifices were performed. And then we have the court of the priests. This is the innermost court. So you're going from holy to holy to holy to holiness, supposedly. So the innermost courtyard was the court of the priests, and only priests were allowed to enter this court. Here, the altar for burnt offerings and the Holy of Holies, which housed the Ark of the Covenant, were located. Okay, so the gender-specific divisions in the temple were in line with traditional Jewish, with traditional uh, Jewish practices, reflecting a separation of men and women during communal worship. So this is what's happening. This is where Jesus is at. He's in the court of the women. So this separation was not unique to the temple, but was a common culture and religious practice in ancient Judaism. Are you with me? Jesus is now in that court, and this is where the this is where we're at. And so Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money in at the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Historical sources tell us that 13 trumpet shaped. Now, in the women, in the court of the women, from the research I've done, historical sources tell us that 13 trumpet shaped receptacles for this purpose stand in the temple's court of Israel, where only Jewish men and women are allowed. So, Mark notes that those who are rich place large offerings in the receptacles. And since all money at the time was minted for metal, a large offering is very obvious because numerous coins glang as they are tossed in. You know, I went to uh, Market Street, and you know they have that coin machine, and I had all these coins I collected throughout the year, 
And it's like a bag. You go there and you're trying to be all quiet. It'll take you forever. But when you just pour it out, all you hear, down, 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 and people are looking at you like, what is that guy doing over there? <laughs> That's all you hear, down, 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 down. It's loud, and everybody notices it. Jesus is right there. He's looking. He's watching at who's, at what people are doing. And all these rich people are putting, and it's kind of, when I read this, I'm looking at it, I'm like, all these rich people, they probably all line up. They're waiting to see who's going to make the loudest sound. Oh, that guy put in a lot. Oh, no, now I got to get some more. Now the next rich guy comes, his clanging goes longer. And then the next guy comes, his clanging goes longer. The heart of them, of the rich. By contrast, the offering of a poor widow is tiny, right? Only two small copper coins. These Roman coins are called leptons in the original language, which literally means thin. That's what it is. These little, the two mites that the widow has, they're so thin. And the estimated value of one such coin would be one one twenty-eighth of a day's wage. Two, coin, two such coins would seem to be so insignificant. So this lady, after rich people come in, you know, the rich are there, and they're trying to impress each other with the coins they have. They want to know, they want to make sure that everybody hears how much I'm giving to God. Look at this, bam. And Jesus is there watching. And Jesus notices this poor widow comes. And it says, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. You see, Jesus observes the giving in the temple, right? He's watching all this happen. Noting the contrast between the large sums given by the wealthy and the humble offering of a poor widow. You see, the widow's two small coins may seem insignificant to us. Though seemingly insignificant according to the world, According to us, even today, I mean, how many times you looked at a penny on the street? You're like, oh, it's just a penny. How would that poor widow die for that penny to have that penny? You see, the widow's two small coins, though seemingly insignificant, hold great significance in the eyes of Jesus. You see, generosity is not measured by the amount given but by the heart behind the giving. You see, the widow's offering teaches us that God values the sincerity and the sacrifice in our giving. You know, I had to examine my heart. You need to examine your heart. Let's examine our hearts and give with a spirit of sacrificial love, regardless of the amount. And that could go not just the money, but anything that we give, right? Anything that we do for somebody. It's because we love God and we love people. 
verse 43 and 44. And he called his disciples. Now, Jesus watched this. He's, he saw the uh, rich guys and he saw the poor widow come. And now he's calling his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. That, that just blows me away. Like, I can think of my resources and my finances. And there is, to be true with you, there is no way I'm selling everything. I'm not in that place. But what about our brothers and sisters who are in third world countries who don't have the scripture, don't have the resources that we have, they trust God wholeheartedly. God, we don't have food. I'm working. I'm serving you. I need food. They trust. They believe that God's going to provide for them. Sometimes we, in the, especially here in the United States, we are so spoiled as believers. We are. And it's very sobering listening to this. But you know what? God is so good. Jesus called his disciples. So Jesus emphasizes the widow's sacrificial giving, highlighting the depth of her commitment. While others gave out of their abundance, she gave all she had, demonstrating a profound trust in God. I know in my heart when I give, it's like I always reserve what I need to reserve in order to live on. This lady had nothing to give, and everything she had, she gave it to God. What a faith to have that. I want that type of faith, don't you? I want to trust in God like that. I'm not there. And it's okay. Jesus comes alongside us, continues to train us, continues to mold our heart. To become better stewards of what the resources he's given us. You see, the widow's offering demonstrates something that Jesus' followers must understand. While others looked at her gift as being insignificant, a penny, Jesus says it is the greatest one of all that was given. It's the greatest one. Now, Sometimes we can go through scriptures and we can read this like a guilt trip for us as believers. It really is not. It's, it's about a heart condition, a heart check for us of where we're at in our trust, in our walks, in our faith with God. Right? It's where we're at. So now we understand why the widow's offering is greater than that of the rich people. For those with abundance... A large offering requires minimal trust in God. It does. Those with great resources, you and I can still expect to have plenty to meet our needs 
and even our wants in light of Christmas, we're going to go out and buy gifts, spend money, spend resources that you and I as believers are responsible to be good stewards of the resources we have. Just listening to this gives me a heart check of what I'm doing with it. You see, the widow, however, is penniless. She's poverty-stricken. She's at a major disadvantage. She is flat broke. She's flat broke. What she has is too little to live on. She has nowhere to turn but to God. Her offering expresses total trust in God, total dependence in God. You see, the widow's offering challenges us, church, to reevaluate our approach to giving. Are we willing to give sacrificially, trusting God with our resources? Let's cultivate a generous heart that reflects the selfless love and trust displayed by the widow in this passage. Amen? Especially during this time. We're going to go out and spend money and we want to impress people with our gifts. Let's remember all the resources that God gives us is his. And we are simply stewards of those resources. And that's why Pastor Ben don't spend nothing money on. He doesn't like to waste money. I've seen him. We go the cheapest route we can go. Like, for instance, going that, we'll go the, and look how nice that is, Right? Look how nice that is. We went the lowest cost way to build that. It looks beautiful because he knows he's spending God's resources. Not only in our personal lives, even in our church. The money that you give to the ministry is prayed on. It's thought about the way it's being spent. You and I, when we give, we're giving to God. And if the church messes up, that's the church's messes up. You and I are giving to God. We're going to give joyfully to the Lord. Conclusion. <clears throat> there can be no greater comparison, right, or contrast than that between the religious leaders and the poor widow of today's scripture. You see, these leaders, the religious, they were supposed to lead God's people. The leaders sought the approval of people for getting God in the process. You see, the widow had been abandoned by people and could trust only in God. You see, the leaders believed that they did great things in the public eye. It was all for show. You see, the widow's great deed was unnoticed by all except who? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Jesus noticed her. 
And she's in scripture because Jesus noticed her. Noticed the insignificant in our eyes, but Jesus noticed her. You see, the leaders believe that they did great things in the public's eye. The leader's pride left them heartless toward the weak because they were supposed to be taking care of the poor, of the widow. And this widow is struggling to get by in life. The widow's need taught her generosity like that of God himself who gave his son for us. You see, church, real generosity is not a product of abundance, but of humble, lowly trust. You see, the more, the more we know we need God, the more we trust him. Ain't that the truth? God, we need you, and I'm going to trust you for this day. God, I need you because of this medical thing I'm going through, but I'm going to trust you in it. God, I need you in my finances. I need you in my emotional state. I need you in my marriage. God, I need you, and I'm going to trust you in it. The more you need God, the more you realize how generous our God is. The more we trust, the more we realize his generosity. And so we, in turn, are compelled as believers, as God's people, to be generous with others as he is generous with us especially during this time when we're going to go out and get gifts and it's commercialized. It's all about what the world can get out of it instead of how we can represent Christ. And so we are compelled as his people to be generous with others as he is generous with us. Worship team, you come up. I've got one last sentence and I'll close out. <clears throat> Church, you and I, we are the widows when it comes to salvation. Don't miss this. We are the widows when it comes to salvation. Like the widow, we need God's generosity to save us from sin. If you're here tonight and you haven't experienced the generosity of the Father, you could have that tonight. We are spiritually bankrupt and broken to save ourselves. You see, God is abundantly rich in mercy and grace to pay the ransom for sins that we cannot. We are the widow. The world, no matter how rich they think they are, they are widowed without Jesus for salvation. They're in that place where all they have, they have nothing. We have, they have nothing to give. Come to Jesus and open the greatest gift of life. That is better than any other gift you will ever receive. In light of the season, in the light of the culture that we're in, we live in with giving and receiving gifts. Just remember, it is the heart that counts. Let me close out with this, my favorite, John 3.16. If you, don't have, if you have your Bible with you, turn there. Because if you don't have it underlined, I want you to underline, because this is powerful. And sometimes we lose the power of knowing this scripture. John 3, 16 through 18. We are the widow. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his, 
his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. He who believes in Jesus is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, our Lord, our Savior. Let's just be reminded as a church what generosity is really all about. I pray for, your, for you and myself that we would have an attitude of being generous towards people. Because when we do that, we're generous toward our Father. And you all have been here before. And if this is your first time here, I want to extend the generosity of the Father to you. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, we are, you and I, we were the widow that was broken without Jesus. And we can be saved if you're not saved tonight. Saved from what? Saved from sin. You and I can't pay our sins. There's only one person, that's Jesus. So I invite you to come to know him. Let's bow our heads and we'll pray. Father God, I thank you so much. God, of just how, how awesome and powerful your word is, God. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be behind the pulpit representing you. I hope, God, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, power of the Holy Spirit, that everyone was supposed to get what they needed to get from your word, from your spirit tonight, Father. God, eliminate whatever you need to eliminate from this message in order to speak to your people, God. Father God, I thank you, Father, for your generosity towards us. God, you are a good, good Father. You are so good to us. God, we, we are like that poor widow. God, but you sent your son to rescue us, God, from death. Lord, I thank you so much. And I pray that for myself and for this church, God, my brothers and sisters here, that we would be reminded of how generous you are as we leave this building tonight, Lord. God, that your generosity would just spill out in us to those around us. If you're here tonight, you don't know God, you haven't received the gift of salvation. It's between you and the Lord. You and God alone. 
I would invite you to raise your hand that I can pray with you. We can pray together as a church. But we all are family of God here. And I thank God for each one of you. Take this time out to thank your father for how generous he is. Forget about everyone around you. It's just you and him. As the worship team plays, contemplate on your walk with God. Take inventory of where you're at. If you've lost the joy, pray for it now. Because he's here. Amen. Love you guys. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.